Welcome to Rome Christian Center. We are so glad that you are with us here today. If you are local to the Rome, New York area, we would like to invite you to join us 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We are located at 7985 Turin Road in Rome, New York. Let's join the service as we believe God has something in store for you today. Well, I just want to share with you a little testimony. We had a wedding to do yesterday. And uh, I, I was standing up here. I had, I had this... I had this notebook with the with the wedding ceremony in it that I that I used to read from, and um, I took my glasses off yesterday and I put them on, and for some reason they were just they were they were flopping. It's like they wouldn't they were flopping off my ear and they were all crooked on my face, and uh, and when I looked down at my notes to read they were like blurry. It's like I've, these are my glasses. Why can't I read with them? And the notes were all blurry, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I really struggled during the whole during the whole wedding ceremony, and then during the unity candles, the unity candle wouldn't light. I mean, the wick was so short, and and the the couple was standing there with their with their candles, trying to light the unity candle, just letting the wax drip, and nothing's lighting. But I struggled the whole the whole service. It's like, what is going on with these glasses? I didn't understand. Well, when the service was over, I took my glasses off, and they were broken. The, the frame had broken. One of the lenses had fallen out. I had a half a glass, half my glasses. Um, that's why I couldn't read anything. And it's like, but you know what? Here's, here's, here's the end result of that. I, I, f- I felt at the end of that, I thought, if this is the worst it gets, if this is the worst thing that could ever happen, you know? So it's really such a small thing. But uh, anyway, but they... Yeah. Anyway, they ended up getting married, so praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10.14. I'm going to stick close to my notes this morning because uh, I want to preach this right. And uh, it's a message that, that I basically gleaned from... Uh, several videos that I watched of Derek Prince, but I felt like it, it's a message that God wanted me to bring this morning, so uh, I'm going to do my best to to present it to you the way I feel like God wants it done. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 10. Praise God. Hebrews is a great book. Wonderful book. For a while, they weren't, they, uh, they, there was some debate as to whether Hebrews should be included in the, in the text, the scriptural text. But then they decided it should be. It's a wonderful book. Talks about the high priesthood of Jesus. Praise God. Hebrews ten fourteen. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now some scriptures say those who are sanctified. And it could be either. Those who are being sanctified and those who are sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. And so the question is, are we being sanctified or are we sanctified? And the answer is yes. It's both. We are set apart and we are made holy in Jesus. Sanctified means to be set apart and to be holy. 
but we are holy because we're in Jesus. But we are becoming holy. We are being sanctified. We are becoming holy as we grow in him, as we mature in him, as, his, as he grows in us and causes us to be more like him. We are being, sanctification is, is, an initial, is an initial separation to God, initial holiness, but it's also uh, something that we grow into, something that we mature in, something that, we, that progresses in our life as we walk with God. But by his, what Jesus did on the cross, what he accomplished by his death, and by the one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What Jesus accomplished for us, what he was made available through his death on the cross, covers every area of our life, spiritual, emotional, physical, financial, it covers, there's nothing else that he has to do, there's nothing else that he can do. You know, when he, when he was just about ready to, to, to die on the cross, the last words he said is, it is finished. And, you know, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can listen to Greek scholars tell me. And he said, and Derek Prince says that word, it is finished, is, is the perfect tense of a verb that means it's perfectly perfect, it's completely complete, there's nothing else that could be done. There's nothing else that could be added. It's a finished, it's a complete finished work. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. It's a complete finished work for you and for I to enter into and to become a part of it. When the scripture speaks of those who are being sanctified, it's referring to the application of what Jesus did on the cross in our lives. Applying that to our lives and growing it. It's a, it's a progressive thing. It never stops. That's why the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And it also says that he, be, he who began a good work in you and in me, he be, he's going to complete, he's going to continue to work on us our whole life. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The cross is the basis for Christ's total defeat of Satan and his total provision for us. Huh. Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. When you were dead, spiritually, in your transgressions and on the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having nailed, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of degree, decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, and when, he dis and when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public show of them, having triumphed over them through him, or in it. Some, some translations say in it, meaning the cross. But he made a public show. He defeated them. He made a public show of them, of, of the principalities and powers, through his death on the cross, through his death, through his resurrection and ascension. Jesus has administered to Satan a total, permanent, irrevocable, perfect defeat. Hallelujah. I want to say that again. I mean, when, I, when I, I was listening to Derek Prince, and when he said that, it's like it struck me in my spirit. It's just like, a, boom, it just hit me. It's like through his death, through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, Jesus has administered to Satan once for all a total, permanent, irrevocable defeat, and, and that'll never change. There's nothing that Satan can ever do to change it. It's done. It's a settled thing. He's defeated. He's defeated forever and ever. Hallelujah. 
And it's on that basis, it's on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross, that we have victory over Satan. What we need to understand is that on the cross, a divinely ordained exchange took place. And all the evil that was due by justice to the human race was visited upon Jesus. That all the good that was due to Jesus because of his sinless obedience might be made available to us who believe. I want to say that again. All the evil that was due by justice to the human race was visited upon Jesus. He took it all. That all the good that's due to him because of his sinless obedience might be made available to us who believe. It's an amazing fact. It's an amazing thing, but there's an exchange. And it applies to us as we understand it. And as we walk and as we believe it, it will be applicable in our life. And it's totally by the grace of God. Totally by his grace and mercy. There's nothing we ever did to deserve it. And there's nothing we ever did to earn it. And God, through his prophets, spoke about it. He said hundreds of years before it was going to happen, God said it was going to happen. And where do we find it? Let's, I want to turn to a very familiar passage of scripture this morning and kind of look at it in maybe a little bit more detail. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53. The great, the great chapter on the atonement of Jesus. Hallelujah. Isaiah 53 speaks of an un of an unnamed servant of the Lord. But all the apostles and the writers of the New Testament agree that that servant was Jesus. In Acts 53, in Isaiah 53, I want to start reading in verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own ways. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. What is the universal guilt of the human race? Not all of us have murdered. Not all of us have stolen. Not all of us have committed crimes. But every one of us is guilty of one particular thing, and that is we've all turned to our own ways. The human race does not want to live for God. If we're born into sin, we're born into Satan's kingdom, and we're born into rebellion. And we want to. And most people, they don't want to. They want to surrender to God. They want to live their own life. And rebellion is the universal guilt of the human race, because we have been. We have the nature of the devil. That's what. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, "You are of your father the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he was a liar. And what was what was his what was the sin of Satan? His sin of Satan was rebellion." Rebellion against God. And that is, that's in every one of us. But when Jesus hung on the cross, the Lord placed upon him the iniquity of us all. And that word, that Hebrew word, it's A-V-O-N pronounced avon. That Hebrew word means not only the guilt or the rebellion, but all the evil consequences of that rebellion. All the evil, all the evil consequences of our rebellion was put upon Jesus when he was on the cross. The guilt of the whole human race and all the evil consequences that we might be free from those evil consequences and receive the benefits of the righteousness of Jesus. It's an amazing thing. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. It's like Jesus came to earth. We're getting ready to have Christmas in a couple weeks. It's the most remarkable thing 
God came down and inhabited this earth as a human being. Now, he's totally God, but he's also totally human. And I was thinking, you know, you can imagine, my mind goes back to the, to the account where Jesus said at one point to his disciples, let's go to the other side. And they got in the, remember they got in the boat and Jesus fell asleep in the back of the boat and they get out in the middle of this water and there's this tremendous storm rises up and the waves are kicking and they, they think they're going to go under and drown. And what did they wake him up and they said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus got up and said, peace, be still. And everything just quieted down. You know what? Listen, this is what hits me. He says, what manner of man is this? It's like, you know, it's like they all of a sudden turn around and they look. I can see him looking. It's like, who is this guy? Who is this guy that the waves and the, and the wind obey? They obey him. He said, peace. They just stopped. It's God. He's God. He's Jesus come to earth as a man. Come the most remarkable thing. And then, he, and, then he, and then he died on the cross for you and for me. For, for, I don't know, for you. For me. He died for me. It's like Shelly said, you got you to, how much he loves you. He died, he, make it, he died for me. I know he died for the world, but he died for me. He died so that I could be forgiven, so that I could spend eternity with him. He came. God came to earth and died in, from, in my place so that I could live with him forever. The most remarkable truth. I don't know that the church really grasps. We, we understand it in a kind of a generic way. But I don't know that it's really hit us. <coughs> and there's an exchange that took place on the cross. And I want to look at some of the exchanges that took place this, this morning. Back up a little bit to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. In verse 5, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace fell upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. That speaks of two things. It speaks of something spiritual and something that physical. But I want to look at the I want to look at the the uh, the spiritual first. Jesus was punished. He was wounded. He was wound, wound. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. What's transgressions and iniquities? Sinful acts. And Jesus was punished for our transgressions and our iniquities. And because he was punished, we can be forgiven. Sin is a spiritual offense, just like crime is a natural offense. And it has to, has to be a payment. There has to be punishment that must be administered. And Jesus bore the punishment that was due to us for our sinful ways so that we could be forgiven and have peace with God. He, he, allowed, he took upon himself our sin and, so that we could be forgiven and have peace with God. How, does he, how, does he, how did God do that? How does God put the sin of the world on Jesus? All the sin, past, present, and future. I don't understand it. I don't know how God does it, but, <clears throat> but he did. The sin of the world. It says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, and he is the propitiation. And that, that word propitiation means, <coughs> means satisfaction. What he did satisfies 
the claims of justice. He is the satisfaction for our, for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sin of the whole world. It's an amazing thing that he came and took upon himself the sin of the world, that we might be forgiven and have peace with God. Hallelujah. In the same verses it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But the Hebrew word for griefs and sorrows is literally pain and sickness. Surely he bore our pains and carried our sicknesses. And by his wounds we are healed. Matthew confirms that. In Matthew chapter 8, keep your finger in Isaiah. We're going to go back there. Let's go look to Matthew chapter 8. And in verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. And when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were ill, that it was to be fulfilled which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. He's quoting Matthew chapter, he's quoting Isaiah 53, 4. And instead of saying griefs and sorrows, what does Peter say? What does Matthew say? Infirmities and sickness and diseases. And I like what Derek Prince, Derek Prince says, Matthew was a Jew, he, understand, he understood Hebrew, and he understood that this is the rendering verse. He himself bore our sicknesses and carried away by his wounds. We are healed. Healing is available for us in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We just have to appropriate. We just have to uh, apply it in our lives. It's very clear on the cross that he bore our sins and our sicknesses. He bore our sins for our forgiveness and our sicknesses for our healing. And I want to look at one of the, basically, maybe one of the scripture this morning. And this, this, this is something that I've been meditating on for, uh, for almost all week. And just been striking me in my spirit. I'm getting a fresh revelation. I'm just blessing God for who he is and what he's done in our lives. Let's look at Isaiah 53 and verse 10. The King James says, but it pleased the Lord. That doesn't mean that God was happy about what was going on, but it really means it was the set intention of the Lord. It's what, it's what he needed to do. It was the Lord's will. It would please the Lord to bruise him, putting him to grief. When his soul shall make an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The Bible says about Jesus, when you shall make his soul an offering for sin, or another rendition would be, when his soul shall make a sin offering. On the cross, this is amazing, but listen. On the cross, Jesus' soul was made the sin offering for all of humanity. You know, in the Old Testament, According to the law of the sin offering, when a person sinned, 
He had to bring a sacrificial offering to the priest. You know, listen to this. To me, this is so remarkably accurate in the Old Testament. I know it's a type in the Old Testament, but it is so remarkably accurate. The, when a person sinned, he had to bring a sacrificial offering to the priest. The offender would confess his sin to the priest, and the priest would then lay his hands on the head of the animal and transfer that sin to the animal. Now the animal became guilty, and the priest killed the animal in place of the man. And the animal paid the penalty for the man's sin because the animal became identified with that sin. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. It's exactly what happened on the cross. The sin of the world was transferred to Jesus. Now Jesus became guilty, and he died in our place, just like that animal would die in the place of that person in the Old Testament. Jesus died in our place. In Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, it makes it very clear that the blood of animals is not sufficient because they can never make the conscience, can never make our conscience clean. The blood of animals is not a sufficient thing. It's a temporary thing. Listen, for the law, Hebrews chapter 10, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of the things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. It can't be done. Can't be, you can't be made perfect by the law. Otherwise, if they could, they would, have, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had a consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, which were offered by the priests, there was a reminder of sin year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins permanently. And skip down to verse 11. I just want to read verse 11. And every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So the Bible is clear. That the blood of bulls and goats and lambs is not sufficient. It's just a type and a shadow. But Jesus, hallelujah. But Jesus' soul was made the sin offering. The sin of the world was put upon him, and his soul became sin with the sinfulness of humanity. Paul refers to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, when it says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. And I... He made him, I'm going to take away the pronouns and stick in the words that are applied. It says he made him, God made Jesus. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be made sin for us, that we might be made righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah. And this is the exchange. This is the exchange that took place. Jesus became sin with our sinfulness, that we might be made righteous with his righteousness. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we might be made righteous with, our, with his righteousness. We don't have to achieve righteousness on our own by doing good, by being going to church, by being a good person. We don't have to achieve our own righteousness. In fact, we can't achieve our own righteousness. In Isaiah chapter 64, it says, all our own righteousness is like filthy rags. And you know, it's interesting to me. It doesn't say all our sinfulness. 
righteousness and all our wickedness is like filthy rags. He says all our righteous, all our righteous deeds, everything we try to do to make ourselves good, they're like filthy rags. They don't work. It doesn't work. And you know the Apostle Paul, you see, he, the Apostle Paul said that about the Jewish people. He said that not, in Romans chapter 10, he, he said, my heart is for these Jewish people because not understanding God's righteousness, they're, they're trying to establish their own. They're trying to make themselves good by keeping the law. And it doesn't work. By, by keeping rules, by trying to be good. And, and I feel, and I just wonder how many today are trying to be good because they want to go to heaven. They go to church. They're, they're faithful to their families. They're, they're, you know, they're being the best person they <clears throat> I remember talking to Darren's mother, Pastor Darren's mother, years ago, and she said the, gr the greatest thing that ever happened to me was when I realized that I didn't have to earn my way to heaven. When I found that out, she said this, this weight just lifted off me. People, people love, they, how many people believe God? You know, and I'm thinking Catholics, Methodists, Baptists, you know, they, they, they believe God, they believe there's a heaven, they want to go to heaven, but they're trying to get there, I'm, I'm just going to be a good person, and God will have something to do with me. No, it doesn't work. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The only righteousness that works is God's very own righteousness imputed to us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 The only righteousness that's acceptable to God is his very own righteousness. Which has been made available to us through Jesus on the cross. When we surrender to the lordship of Jesus and we're born again, God imputes to us, he reckons to us a righteousness that is not our own. A righteousness that we can never achieve no matter how hard we try. But listen, he he credits to us his righteousness. We've been made righteous with the righteousness of Jesus. This is a righteousness that has never known sin. A righteousness that has nothing to repent of. A righteousness that has no guilty past. A righteousness upon which Satan can bring no accusation. Now, that's not you and that's not me in the natural. But that's what I, that's the way he that's what he considers us. That's what he has credited to us. A perfectly holy, sinless righteousness. And, because, and, and on the basis of that righteousness, we can go and stand in heaven forever and ever. It's an amazing fact. Isaiah 61. Just slip a few pages ahead to verse. To Isaiah 61. In verse 10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me, or he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. A lot of people understand salvation. He has clothed me with a garment of salvation. He has wrapped me, covered me with a robe of righteousness. God has made, in Jesus Christ, we have become the very righteousness of God in him. It's an amazing thing. That's why, see, that, that's, why, that's why the Apostle Paul can say 
in Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 1. What does he say? There is therefore, come on, there is therefore now what? No condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? Because I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So there's no condemnation for them. That are in. The devil can't come and accuse you. And if we allow the devil to come and to bring up our past and bring up our faults, now, there are things we always have to repent of. I'm not perfect by any means. I know that. But God looks upon me with his very own, imputes to me his very own righteousness because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. And I tell you, I have been thanking God all week, saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've made me righteous. Thank you that I can go to heaven. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve to go to heaven. But because of what you did on the cross, because of the sacrifice of yourself, I've been, I've been forgiven. I've been made righteous. And I can be healed. And I, and I, and, and I want to look at one other exchange. Father, I just, I, excuse me. I just bless you, Lord. I thank you for what you've done on the cross for me. I receive, I yield to what you've done on the cross for me. I thank you for my righteousness in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's word and that you be filled with his love and strength as you daily serve him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry and how it is that you can partner with us, visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.